Awesome. That's very cool. I have the privilege of uh, baptising Rachel tonight, so I'm um, looking forward to that. But uh, welcome this morning from me. If you don't know me, uh, my name's Adam, and it's really cool uh, to be gathered together this morning and to open up God's Word together. I'd like to begin by asking us a question. And I know I say this often, but it's a big, really important question. It's a question that probably most of us have wrestled with at some point. Maybe it's a question that some of us are wrestling with right now, at this point in our lives. Thankfully, what we'll see today is that though it's a big, important question, it has a simple, clear, powerful answer. So what's the question? Here it is. What does it take to please God? What does it take to please God? What do we need to do for for God to be pleased with us, for God to accept us? If there's a God who created all things, who rules over all things, then how do we relate to him? How are we made right with him? This is a pretty big, important question. And this question actually dominated the life of this man, Martin Luther. We've been hearing lots about Martin Luther in these last few weeks as we've been working our way through this sermon series called The Essentials. Martin Luther, of course, was used by God in the Reformation in the 16th century, this movement to reform the church. And I would encourage you to come along on Wednesday night and learn a little bit more about the life of this this man who was used so powerfully by God. But this question really dominated the life of Martin Luther. He wrestled deeply with this question, how can I please God? And in fact, early in his life, Luther followed the teaching of the church in his day. And that is, when you are baptised, you are right with God, you're fully right with God. But then as you live your life and as you sin, you become less right with God. And so you need to do penance and confession and good works and you need to do these things to earn your way back into God's good books. And so this kind of worldview or understanding of God, it led Luther to enter a monastery and to become a monk. And by all accounts, he was a model monk. He laboured day and night in prayer. He beat his body, sleeping without a blanket in winter in Germany, like in a castle. He fasted for days on end. He obsessively confessed his sins, everything and anything he could think of. In fact, he even wore out those to whom he would confess his sins. They told him once, they said, go back to your room and don't come back until you've, got some, you've committed a sin worth confessing. And so that's Luther. In fact, he was quoted as saying that I kept the rule of my order, his um, monk order, so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. <laughs> that's Luther. And at one point, he even took a pilgrimage to Rome. And he was so excited about visiting Rome because he intended to visit some of the really significant religious sites while he was in Rome. And that included a church by the name of St. John Lateran. Now, the church at St. John Lateran had a set of stone stairs. And supposedly, these were the same stone stairs that Jesus ascended when he went to stand before Pilate during his trial. These stairs had supposedly been imported from Jerusalem to Rome. 
And the tradition was that pilgrims would come to Rome and they would climb these stairs, but they would not climb them on their feet. They would climb them on their knees and they would kiss the stairs as they climbed and ascended. And so this is what Luther did when he went to St. John Lateran. But while Luther is climbing the stairs, on his knees, kissing them, a verse of scripture comes into his mind. Romans 1 verse 17. The righteous shall live by faith. And he has a moment where he realises that something is not quite right. And sources say that when Luther got to the top of the stairs, he said out loud, who knows? In other words, who knows if I'm in a right relationship with God because I've climbed these stairs on my knees and kissed them as I go up? Who knows if God is pleased with me because I'm a monk and I beat my body and I, I fast for days on end? Who knows if God is pleased with me? And maybe you've experienced something similar. Maybe you've been at a point in your life where you've asked yourself, who knows if God is pleased with me? Who knows if God accepts me? This question, how can I please God, is an incredibly important question. And thankfully, the Bible gives us an incredibly clear answer. In fact, we're told in Hebrews chapter 11 that there is one thing that we need if we are to please God. And if we don't have this one thing, we can't please God. In fact, it is impossible to please God without this one thing. What is it? Hebrews 11 verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Faith is the one thing we need to please God. George Michael was right. we just got to have faith. Some people twigging on. I'm not sure he was talking about faith in the same way the Bible's talking about faith. But, but this is the truth that Luther was reminded of as he climbed these stairs. The righteous shall live by faith. Now maybe you're wondering, well, why faith? Why not something else? Why not love or joy or humility or wisdom? Why did God choose faith as the way that we please him. Well, it's very simple. If faith is the, what God requires from us, then it means that God is now within reach of all of us. Listen to the way Thomas Goodwin puts it, one of the Puritans. He said, why did God choose faith to save us by? Because the poorest and the weakest in the world can believe and trust. And this is the message of Christianity. We come to God through Jesus in faith alone. God does all the heavy lifting, we simply open up and receive him. And this is good news for every single one of us in this room. I'm not sure how you've walked in here today, but wherever you find yourself in life, you are not far from God. You can come to God freely today. You can receive from God all that he has given to us in Jesus. And this is the truth that we're going to be looking at a little bit this morning. Faith alone, or sola fide in the Latin. So we've been looking at the five solas of the Reformation, these Latin phrases that describe, that summarise the essence, the heart of the Christian faith. So far we've looked at scripture alone, we've looked at Christ alone, grace alone, and today we come to faith alone. 
And this truth of faith alone is also known in the Bible as justification by faith. That's kind of the theological term for this phrase. And Martin Luther, again, he called justification by faith the chief article of Christian doctrine. Another author, Thomas Watson, says justification is the very hinge and pillar of Christianity. Now these statements, they're they're big claims, but they're not exaggerations because the truth is justification by faith is so important because it's the answer to the most important of all human questions. How can we be made right with God? How can we be accepted by God? It's the most important question we can answer. Now you might be thinking, well, yeah, but I'm not a religious person. I mean, maybe you've come along this morning, you're not a Christian, and you're thinking, well, justification and faith and being made right with God, that's nice for religious people, but it's got nothing to do with me. But I beg to differ. See, the truth is, every single one of us, whether we're religious or irreligious, Deep down, we long for justification. We know that we need justification. This is why we spend so much of our lives striving to justify ourselves, to prove that we matter, to make ourselves acceptable. We do this in all kinds of ways. Let me give you an example from a movie. In the movie Chariots of Fire, you've probably seen it, there is an Olympic runner And he's going for gold in the 100-yard dash. And he spends hours and hours training and working and beating his body, a lot like Martin Luther. And someone comes to him and asks him and says, well, why are you working so hard? Why are you training so hard? To which he replies something along the lines of, well, when the gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. In other words, he's saying... I want to know that I'm justified being here. I want to know that my life is worth something. I want to know that I matter. And the way that I'm doing that, the way that I'm convincing myself and others is I'm going to be a runner. And what that means is the cheering of the crowd, the gold medal, they're not just nice accomplishments, they are his justification. Or think about the movie Rocky. If you haven't seen it, great movie. Rocky with Sylvester Stallone. He's a boxer. He has a fight with Apollo Creed, a much better boxer than he is. And Rocky says to his girlfriend, Adrian, no, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) He says to her, I don't even need to win the fight. All I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I'm not just another bum from the neighbourhood. What's going on there? It's justification. He doesn't feel right. He knows that he needs some kind of external validation. He wants to know that he matters. That he's acceptable. That he's loved. That he's okay. And friends, every single one of us feels this. The need to establish a sense of our worth. And so we look for this in all different kinds of ways. If we parent well enough and if we raise great kids, we think we can somehow prove ourselves. If we get the best grades in high school or university, if we rise high up enough the ladder at work, whatever it is, if we reach it or do it or get it, we feel like we can justify our existence. We'll finally be acceptable. But the Bible tells us that what we're really looking for 
and what we really need. It's not just justification in the eyes of other people. It's justification in the eyes of God. It's not to prove ourselves acceptable in the eyes of other people. It's to be acceptable and accepted by God. This is the way one author puts it. He says, justification by faith is an answer to the greatest personal question ever asked by a human soul. How shall I be right with God? How do I stand in God's sight? With what favour does he look upon me? There are those, I admit, who never raise that question. There are those who are concerned with the question of their standing before man, but never with the question of their standing before God. There are those who are interested in what people say, but not in what God says. The beginning of true nobility comes when a person ceases to be interested in the judgment of man and becomes interested in the judgment of God. My point in all of this is that what the Bible says about justification by faith, it matters to every single one of us. You see, no one, no one is so clever or so rich or so smart or so successful or so powerful or so good that they do not need to be justified by God. And no one is so bad or so evil or so lost or so confused or so poor that they cannot be justified by God. Justification by faith matters. But I haven't really defined it for you yet, have I? Maybe you're wondering, well, okay, I understand that, but what is justification by faith? What does it mean for us to be justified by faith? To answer that question for us, I'd like to take us to Romans chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 3. We'll look at just a few verses in this chapter. This passage, actually, Luther described as the very central place of the whole Bible. Now, whether it is that or not, I don't know, but it is an incredibly important passage. Look at what we read in God's Word in Romans 3. We'll look at uh, verses 21 to 24. This is what we read there. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets, that is the Old Testament, testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now this passage tells us that we are justified before God. It says it there in verse 24, we're justified freely by his grace. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? Well this word justified is a legal term. It comes from the courtroom world. And to be justified means to be declared not guilty by a judge in a court of law. It means to be declared innocent in the eyes of the law. It means to be declared righteous or in the right. It might be helpful to think about what the opposite of justification is. And the opposite of justification is condemnation. It means to be condemned, to be declared guilty. And verse 23 tells us that this is our predicament, all of us, before God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, all of us have broken God's law. All of us have fallen short of what God requires. All of us, without exception, stand guilty before God. 
In other words, when we get to the end of our life and we stand in God's courtroom, which the Bible tells us is the end for all humanity, Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. When we stand in God's courtroom, there will be one verdict and one verdict only in and of ourselves, read out. Guilty. Guilty. And it doesn't matter what kind of defence we offer. We can say to God, well, God, I did my best to live a good life. I was a pretty good person. I mean, I was definitely a better person than my neighbour. The problem is, the standard is not your buffoon neighbour. The standard is the law of God. The standard is the glory and perfection of God. And every single one of us have fallen short of that requirement. And no amount of good works can earn our right standing with God. Because if we're honest, even our good works are often tainted with selfish interest and motivation. We stand guilty before God. Now, I'm not saying that good works don't matter. Far from it, James tells us that faith without works is dead. But we're not saved by our good works, we're saved to good works. Good works are the evidence of genuine faith. But no amount of good works can justify us before God. When you break the law at one point, you've broken the entire law and you must pay the penalty. And on our own, we stand guilty and condemned before God. And so the question we need to ask, well, what hope do we have? How can we be made right with God? How can we escape the guilty verdict that we deserve? And the clear answer of the Bible is the glorious good news of justification by faith in Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's right there in verse 24. And all are justified freely by his grace. This is what we saw a couple of weeks ago. We're made right with God, not because we're so lovely, but because of God's great love. Not because of our goodness, but because of God's amazing grace. And how has God done this? How has, what has God done to justify us? He sent Jesus as our saviour and as our substitute. He sent Jesus to be judged in our place. So verse 24 says it's through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, God doesn't just overlook our sin as if it didn't happen. That would make him unjust. A just judge must punish sin. And God does. But God sends his son to pay the penalty for our sin on our behalf. The penalty for our sin is paid, but it's not paid by those who deserve it, you and I. It's paid by the one who does not deserve it, the Son of God. And this is why we can be justified freely before God, declared righteous and innocent and pure and blameless. I can't say it any better than the, the old hymn, Before the Throne of God Above. It says, Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. I can't say it any better than the Heidelberg Catechism says it. How are you right with God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. 
even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and even though I'm still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ as if I'd never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I'd been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift of God with a believing heart. This is the amazing news of justification by faith, that we are declared righteous, blameless, pure and innocent before God because of Christ. How do we receive this gift? Through faith. Through faith alone. Paul tells us in verse 22, he says, this righteousness is given. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Our right standing with God is a gift given to us and we receive it through faith. Think about it this way. Imagine someone offered you a vast fortune, hundreds of millions of dollars. All you needed to do, they say, is open up a separate account and they'll put the money in there. So you open a new account and that gift is transferred to you. Faith, in many ways, is exactly like opening that account to receive the money. You're not contributing anything. And you wouldn't go around afterwards saying, well, yeah, this person did give me $300 million, but, you know, don't forget, it was me that opened the account. I mean, have you seen that paperwork? You know, I did my bit. I thoroughly deserve that money. You wouldn't. Our justification is a gift from God. God credits our account with the riches of Jesus. You see, justification is more than just forgiveness. God doesn't just declare us innocent. God doesn't just bring our account back to zero, doesn't just clear our debt and then say, all right, now it's up to you to keep it in the black. No, God declares us righteous. God credits our account with the infinite merit of Jesus. And that is more than enough to cover our past, present and future sin. This is amazing. Listen to the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5. One of my favourite passages in the Bible. He says, For our sake he made him, that's talking about Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become what? The righteousness of God. This is the heart of the Christian gospel. This is why Luther said this is the, the chief article of Christian doctrine, the pillar upon which Christianity stands. Because it's about what God has done for us. In Christ. And when you understand this truth, when this truth really drops in your heart, it changes your life in so many profound ways. Let me just mention a couple of them quickly. The first is the difference that, that justification by faith makes in our life is that it means the way to God is open. Do you think you're too sinful to come to God? Do you think you're not good enough? Do you think that God would never accept you? Let me tell you the truth. You are far, far, far worse than you realise. But let me tell you an even truer truth. God is far, far, far more gracious and willing to accept you than you even realise. 
And it's not because of who you are and what you've done. It's because of what God has done for you in Christ. The gift that he's given that is to be received by faith. The way to God is open. Secondly, it means it gives us security in our struggle against sin. I mean, let's be honest with one another this morning. The Christian life can be a struggle. Our growth in spiritual maturity can seem slow and fitful and painful. Two steps forward, three steps back, one step forward. I mean, it seems that way. And there are sins that we struggle with that we just thought we'd be past by now. And we can lose heart. We can begin to think to ourselves, well, maybe I'm not really a Christian. Maybe I'm not really accepted by God. Justification by faith tells us that it's not true. It tells us that the struggle of the Christian life, it's not a struggle to be accepted by God. We've already been accepted by God in Christ and it's a struggle to put off our sin, to put off our old sinful nature, not to earn God's love and favour, but in response to God's amazing love and grace. It's not a struggle to earn our acceptance. It's a struggle from our acceptance, which empowers us to overcome our sin and gives us great security. Thirdly, it gives us both humility and and boldness. It gives us humility because our salvation, our right standing with God is completely outside of ourselves. We have no reason to boast before God. This is why actually Paul goes on to say in Romans 3, he says, where then is boasting? Where is it? It's excluded. We have no reason to boast. If we've grasped the magnitude of the cross, we don't come to God carrying all of our good record. We come to God empty-handed and we say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. It gives us incredible humility. It gives us as well incredible boldness because we know that we're safe and secure in the acceptance of God. And if we have the acceptance of God, then we won't be enslaved by the acceptance of others in the world. A lady once came up to Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher and after a sermon and she said to him this is always what a preacher wants to hear after a sermon uh, Mr Spurgeon you are the most arrogant obnoxious annoying man I know and I wanted to be the one who told you nice lady Spurgeon leaned over to one of his elders who was nearby and said she doesn't know the half of it <laughs> now that's a man who gets it incredible humility and incredible boldness Tim Keller says it this way. He says, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. You're worse than you realise. And yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Incredible humility, incredible boldness. It also changes the way we relate to one another. Justification by faith. We're all sinners saved by grace. Which means when we come together, we don't come together to compare, to compete, to cut down. We come together to worship our Saviour. We're just not that caught up in trying to prove our our righteousness because we understand that Jesus has given us our righteousness and we are free to love and serve and give and encourage one another. Not compete and criticise and cut down. The doctrine of grace creates a culture of grace. We all come through the same door to God. There's no VIP entrance in the Christian faith. 
No VIP area. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so we treat one another. No matter what race or social status or or job or, or anything else, we treat one another with love and care and concern. We're all one in Jesus Christ. Justification by faith. It changes the way we relate to one another. And finally, it changes the way we relate to God. I want to close with this. Now, we didn't quite finish the story of Martin Luther uh, back at the start. When we left him, he was on top of the stairs at St. John Lateran and he was lost in a fog of despair and hopelessness and confusion. See, he thought God was a tyrant who demanded perfect obedience from him. He hadn't yet realised that God had graciously provided perfect obedience for him in Jesus and he receives it simply through faith. And Luther didn't really come to understand this until a number of years later when he had what is known as his tower experience. This was when Luther came to understand justification by faith and it changed his life and really we could say the world forever. This is what Luther says in his own words. He says, my situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would satisfy him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Then, Luther's reflecting on Romans 1 verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith. He says, then I grasped that God, in sheer grace, justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. He talks about going into paradise and what he's saying. He's saying, I used to think that God demanded perfect righteousness from me. And I knew that I could never measure up. I knew that I had not measured up and it led me to hate God. But then he saw that God had provided righteousness for him in Christ. And he simply receives it with the empty hands of faith. And it led him to love God. And I wonder this morning what you think about God. I wonder if you're more like Martin Luther at the top of the stairs at St. John Lateran. You see God as a tyrant. You have no peace. No assurance, no certainty, no love for God. Or I wonder if you're more like Martin Luther in the tower and you know that God has done everything necessary in Jesus Christ for you to come to him freely and to be accepted by him, to be declared righteous and innocent and justified in his sight. And I wonder if that fills your heart with love and joy and thankfulness to God. See, this question, how can I please God, is an incredibly important question. And the clear answer of the Bible is it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And when we 
get that. We can sing. Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we can do nothing else but bow before you in worship and thanksgiving and love for what you've done for us in Jesus. That we can be justified freely by your grace through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we have an opportunity now to respond to the word of God by coming to Lord's Supper.